Okay. Here they go. It's resur resur Resurrection Week. The first week of Jesus Christ walking back to Galilee, finding his people, walking out of the tomb, seeing Gethsemane, knowing Golgotha, but he was pursuing Galilee and pursuing those that belonged to him. He wanted to be with his people again. And can you imagine? Can you imagine the reconnection of being with Jesus this week and him telling the story again of what happened to him? It's a fascinating story. I wish, I wish we could be part of that. We will hear that story when we get home. But in the meantime, uh, we, we live... On the other side of the cross, I, I think about Easter being in three stages. There are people on the far side of the cross and far away from the kingdom. They don't have any idea what we're talking about. And then they come to the cross, and on the cross, they meet the crucified Lord. And in the Lord's crucifixion, you move into the stage of the tomb, where there's a death and a process of overcoming death. And then you move away from the stone and beyond to the resurrected life. And there are stages of people, Christians are still kind of in the tomb sometime and they, they don't know how to get out of the sin. And so the focus today is thinking about the power of the resurrection and to think about what we have been given as Christians. To think that we have good news, great news, wonderful news, marvelous news, that you can have new life in Christ. And so that simple little sentence, you can have new life in Christ. Simple sentence, repeat that after me. You can have new life in Christ. We want to talk about this topic today in terms of the resurrection season and in light of what Paul is trying to teach the Philippians because it dovetails right in with Philippians 3. I didn't decide that, God did. But, uh, but the focus of this message is the resurrection and the overcoming of evil. And what I just wanted to say... I'll give some feedback there. So, uh, uh, that's interesting echo. Uh, we won't uh, focus on evil. Does that disturb you? Yeah, it disturbs me. <laughs> I'm getting a feedback, Dave. Okay. And so the idea that, that we're going to look at the idea of the resurrection uh, in light of the fact that there's an evil to be overcome, and this is a huge topic, and I'm not going to get into the deeper part of this, except to have you focus on the wonder of what God is doing. And last week we talked about the whole Easter season in light of this teaching in the church that it is Christus Victor. It is the Lord of glory who came through the gates to, to own Again, that which is own. And uh, he, he bought back, he redeemed. Remember that story, little boat, you're twice mine. I made you and I, and I bought you back for myself. And so, but he's a resurrected Lord. And it's so easy for us in the West to understand we go through religious seasons and then we get over Easter season or Christmas season, we go back to the humdrum and we just kind of forget what Easter is all about. I don't want you to do that because this is a focus that Paul had and I would like to ground us all in this understanding. What, what are we talking about? What do, we, what do we understand when it comes to the resurrection? This is not a new concept. If you go back into the Greeks, among the Greek gods, you will hear stories about resurrection. Uh, 
of the Greek gods. You know the story of Achilles, who was uh, killed in war, and he was resurrected and became an immortal, as the gods would often do. It was not an uncommon thing, but it certainly had a different meaning. Because as you talk about resurrection, there are certain stories like the phoenix rising from the ashes and death and and coming alive again. Uh, These are some of the classic myths. And psychologically, we kind of translate that into that there are things that are impediments to our hearts. We we need to let things go and then we can fly. And uh, of course, that's, again, it's a, a symbolic way of thinking about it, but if you go the language route, uh, when you talk about resurrection, you're talking about metamorphosis. It talks about a brand new form, a brand new creation. So what you were formerly is totally radically changed, like in the caterpillars you'll see. The Hindus call this dramatic growth uh, enlightenment. The Buddhists call it bahikta. The 12-step program calls it an awakening, a coming to your senses. The Greeks call it metamorphosis. And if you're in the secular world of counseling, you call that personal growth and development. We use this idea of resurrection as a metaphor. And you'll hear a lot of people use this word in reference to uh, the idea that you what you once were, you no longer are. But if you have personal struggles... And all of a sudden, you've been able to let go of the financial stress, or you've been able to get out of depression, or you've been able to overcome some surgery or some stroke or whatever. You take the personal crisis, and you leave the crisis behind, and now you're resurrected in one sense. There's a metaphor of victory over that which once was and now is no longer. These ways of talking about the resurrection, uh, you're going to rub shoulders with people who think that the rise and the suffering and the resurrection of Jesus is simply a good model for us. The way we handle suffering, the way we handle pain, we should do it like Jesus did on a cross and we can forgive and move on and and, and you come and have new life. This is what Joseph Campbell would talk about uh, being a, a, a hero, taking the journey to become one who is an overcomer. Jesus showed us that All our lives are about or should be about is this victory, this overcoming. And if you hear this, you're going to miss the meaning of the Scripture. The meaning of the Scripture is not a myth, it's not a model, it's not a um, metaphor. It's a mission. And the resurrection as a mission. And so I'm sowing this seed so you understand This is a movement on the part of the Holy Spirit in our world, as Malachi would say, but for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. Much like Isaiah would talk about, the young men would run and they would get tired. But those who wait upon the Lord, they will rise up like eagles and they will soar. You'll have this idea that God is involved in a way that makes you and able to do that which you normally wouldn't do without him. And that's why this this idea that there's good news, there's an ability given to us because it's a power from beyond, it's a knowledge from beyond, uh, this picture doesn't capture that thought because there's something wrong with this picture. 
we would agree with that picture in the sense of we like to be overcomers. We like to not be under our struggles, but overcome. But what's missing in this picture is this. There's no cross. There's no cross. And you can't have this resurrection understanding of the Bible without understanding what that cross and this mission is all about. The resurrection is a redemptive work of the Holy Spirit. It's a mission that Paul talks about in Ephesians 1.10. I love this passage. This is the summary passage for the whole book of Ephesians. It says, in him, in Christ, in the Messiah, we have redemption. Through his blood, forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. And in those two little verses, notice redemption through his blood. You didn't do that. He did. Forgiveness of sins. You don't earn that. He lavishes it upon you. And that's called grace. This is the beginning of missions that you understand that your sins have been washed away. To understand that God has given to you a complete, clean relationship and he's not holding your sin against you and that your relationship is fresh and new without fear and you enter into a reconciled peace with God. That's a wonderful, marvelous grace. Again, as Paul says, this is what he wants to do But with all wisdom, he knows what he's doing. With all understanding, he knows what to do. He made known to us the mystery of his will. According to the good pleasure, his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Our God wants you to know him. And he wants you to know him feverishly. He's passionate about this. Jesus wants you to know the Father like he knew the Father. Notice, it's a revelation of mystery. He's not playing hide and seek. He's not playing, uh, uh, I'll wait for you to uh, get your life shaped up up before you come into my presence because you're not. No, no, no. It's he wants to enter into our world so that we know how he involves himself in our lives as he did with all the stories in the New Testament. It's a revelation of his heart. It's a revelation of his mind. And to think like Christ thinks To think like Christ thinks about me, about you, about others, we're going to look at this. But here's the purpose. The purpose of Christ, this mission, as he says, is to put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, and they have been fulfilled in Christ, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Notice what that says. To resurrect and restore, to coalesce, to integrate, and to reign He's going to bring Christ, it says, to put into effect that reign of Christ to bring unity and the alliance of all creation, cosmos and creature, that this messianic lordship of Christ would be realized, experienced as a reality for all of us. This is a redemptive mission. Oh, now, here's a test for you. Now, some of you know the answer because I've done this once before. Do you know the oldest... Just a minute. In the Old Testament, do you know the verse that's quoted most in the New Testament? What Old Testament verse, number one, more than any other verse, and parts of that section, the Hebrews would know, oh, they go right back to that. What verse in the Old Testament is number one? Do, 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 do. 
It's not John 3.16. That's in the New Testament. It's Psalm 110, verse 1 and 2 and 3. You add 2. And you know the passage. It says this. The Lord says to my Lord. Notice there, capital, the first Lord is capital L. Says to my Lord, little L, Adonai, personal name, uh, speaks to the Messiah. God says to his son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. For the Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies, and your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy splendor, your young men will come to you like dew from the morning womb, morning's womb. This is resurrection as a mission. Sit at my right hand. Jesus now on earth before he ascends in 40, 39 days or 33 days, uh, as he's going to move to the ascension, he's going to sit at the Father's right hand. His work is done as Savior on the cross and resurrected Lord. But now he takes on a different role as our high priest, interceding for us, ever making intercession for us. Even today, even this hour, Christ is interceding for us. But notice, God will extend your scepter, your mighty scepter, Christ, my son, from Zion, from this little little geography of Israel, from that little place, the world is going to know. And he's going to make your rule, your reign known, that you will rule, and here's the phrase, rule in the midst of your enemies. Here's the basis of overcoming. That God as King, Christ as Lord, the Spirit as the one who comes to set us free in that anointed conquering spirit that he has, He will subdue and overcome and quell the resistance in the cosmos. Therefore, your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Note the spirit of dedication. These men will come prepared to fight. The dedication by free choice is the force of an army that the Spirit of God is raising up a people for himself, the people of God, arrayed in holy splendor. This is beautiful. This is power organized on a mission. And your young men will come to you like the dew from the morning's womb, fresh, strong, vital, readiness. How much? How many dew drops are there on the grass? Think about that. In the bright sunshine, they're brilliant. It's innumerable. And these men will be enriching, pleasant, that God just loves this. And therefore, as for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And this army of healing, this army of resurrections on a mission, and that mission is to be around the whole world. It's the great commission because it's universal in scope. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Didn't Jesus say that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them that that 
his way of life, his new way of life, if you, if you line up with his spirit and what Christ has done and going to the Father, uh, you will always sense the presence of God wherever you go. Well, this is what N.T. Wright has said, that his resurrection from the dead is the announcement of the new reign of God as Lord. Through the death and the resurrection, the God of grace has appeared and has given himself to be known among humans. He became incarnate and walked among them. And John said, we, we, we know of the grace of Christ, the truth and grace were realized in this one called the Son of Man. But thinking about this resurrection, just a week afterwards, uh, it's so easy to lose that focus if you're living in a world as we are, because the Greeks and the modern world will think about this metaphorically, they'll think about this as a model, they'll think about this as a myth. But Jesus is the revelation of what it means for you and me to be fully human. The Holy Spirit applies that cross, that gospel, that resurrection, that forgiveness, that grace, so that we can be reconnected and be restored and healed to the living Lord. He removes the evil. He removes the ungodly and inhuman desires by creating in us new desires and releasing us from the former lifestyles of sin and darkness into a mindset that appreciates and honors life in all of its fullness, just as Jesus did. Thinking about that, you come to this issue of evil. And to overcome this evil, to have an understanding what this mission is all about, you think about evil as the revelation of what man is not supposed to be, or how man is not supposed to relate in the universe. It's the undoing of who you are. As sin would separate us from God, sin separates us from ourselves, and evil is this disconnect in God's eyes that result that as humans we act out of an ungodly, separate from God, in an evil, inhuman, ungodly, and unloving ways in order to self-serve our desires. We are so committed to our own little kingdoms that there may be damage or hurt done. And this is what Ecclesiastes, this is a great verse. You want to underline this in your Bible. Ecclesiastes 8.11. And this is what happens when God isn't part of it. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly. Because there is no assessment of evil. It says here, the hearts of the sons of mankind among them are fully given to do evil. You know that if you're a parent, unless you put some breaks on it, put some boundaries on it, put some kind of limitations... You're going to fully explore until there's some stopping point. Matthew, though, picks this up when he says, When lawlessness, when evil is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Most people's love will grow cold. The desires fade away. King James says, as, uh, King James says most people's love will wax Cold, like a candle without a flame. Well, we study this in our Bold Love series. When Dan Allender would say that evil is the absence 
of empathy, the absence of shame, and the absence of goodness. If you're going to be an evil person, you're not going to be moved by what's going on in another person's life. You won't be moved by any kind of pain or suffering. You just kind of be like this one person said about his sister-in-law who committed suicide. His response was, well, she made her bed. She's lying in it now. How hard, how cold that was. Evil is unaffected by exposure. You won't shame evil because evil has no conscience. I don't care what you think about me. And therefore, as you move into this issue, you try to shame, shame uh, evil, evil will not be ashamed. You won't get to it. And therefore, to overcome shame, you need something outside of the evil in that system. But evil will also delight itself in torment. They like, they like hurting. They like destroying. They, there's something about undoing who God, the goodness that God wants us to know. Evil likes to undo. And there's something about this that it's really so deep inside of us, kind of like the COVID virus, you know, that's passed on one-to-one. Likewise, we understand from the Scripture that we have been imparted with a DNA of sin, just as sin entered the world through one man, death through sin, and in that way death came to all people. I wish this were just a myth. Because if it were, you wouldn't see this picture. Because this is still happening. We live in a fallen world, and because sin still exists, there's a lot of injustice, a lot of oppression. But God is able to take that which is evil and turn it for good. God turned that death of Christ on the cross into something that was glorious. It's the ultimate symbol of his triumph. And therefore we know that God's not limited by grace. But our question is then, how do you take someone who's hurting others into someone who wants to become honoring of others? How do you take a fool into a wise man? You're talking about a resurrection, a transformation that doesn't take place because you use human effort or human will. No, you need to meet the risen Lord. And this is what happened with Paul. In Paul, when Paul met Christ, he was thinking about religion and he was a very religious man. Paul was a natural man before he met Christ. He was doing all these religious things. But Paul, when he met Christ, He uses this word Jesus as Savior. Jesus saved me from my wretchedness. Jesus was my Savior. And we don't talk about Savior or salvation or being saved in our culture anymore. We just kind of let things go. But hallelujah that Christ came to to undo the things that we did that were against him. And the Messiah crucified and raised as Redeemer of Lord of all shifted Paul's thinking. And what he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, so from now on we regard no one from a human, worldly point of view. We once regarded Jesus that way. That he was just a man, a a special man, a teaching man, a, a, a rabbi maybe, but we never saw him as a spiritual man, that he was God's son. And so Paul changed his way of thinking. 
Knowing this Christ, you enter into a whole new way of thinking about how you see people. And knowing that, that's, that seeing people as being trapped in their sin, we're on a rescue mission. Knowing that people are living in darkness, we're on a rescue mission. And that's what we want to do here at the church. You know the five color bars? You got those memorized yet? That you move from Christ-centeredness, that Christ is moving through his spirit in the world to reveal who his father is. And that revelation is anchored in the narrative of the scriptures. We believe that. We take that serious. And as we do that, we move into people's life to say, little boat, you belong to God. You are bought with a price, and now you belong to him. And your Lord is Christ. If Christ isn't your Lord, something else is. So you can choose your Lord and be restored by Christ. That's our mission, to undo evil, to overcome that darkness. And you do that through the relational phrases. Jesus said, if you walk in the darkness, guess what's going to happen? You're going to fall into the pit. But he's the light of the world. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him. There's a light that overcomes the darkness. But some people think this way. I don't live in darkness. Darkness lives in me. So what happens when Christ comes into your, your heart? Well, this is the good stuff. But we have a problem because we don't believe it. In the West in particular, let me just move towards the end. We live in a world that is split. We have, we have compartmentalized uh, our understanding of this cosmos, that the idea that there is an ideal realm, heaven, above, we're not there, except Christ and you're going to go there. But this is a dual, dualistic view that down here on earth, God somehow comes and visits us and takes us back to heaven. That's a really inappropriate way of thinking because if the kingdom comes, he comes to take over the whole realm. Since the 16th century, we have been drunk with Western thinking that there is the split, that there's a supernatural and the natural. And what we don't understand about the supernatural is not God doing something out there. or It's, it's something in here. But there's the split. I studied this week a man named Veli Mati uh, Kakainen. He's a, a Finnish theologian. And he pointed out something in his book on Christology about the Africans. I thought this was very fascinating. Because the African church has dismissed our secular sacred division and they think that the missionaries who go over there with their reasoned, their rational, their gospel presentations, they have got a split world view. And so the Afri in Africa, the orthodoxy that is presented by some churches simply has left Christians helpless, that the gospel doesn't touch real life in Africa. And so you need more because the gospel comes not just to take you uh, out of the darkness into heaven, it comes to overcome the darkness that's here on earth. And for us, we understand that because we believe what the Bible teaches. In the Old Testament, the Shema, there's one God, one living God. He is one, and you worship that 
Lord, hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. That's not true around the world. What's true around the world is there are thousands of gods. And you live in a pluralistic uh, system of gods and goddesses and a pluralistic system of individuals who think they are gods. And God is a missionary God who's out to destroy every God and put them under the feet of Christ. Our God is on the move. He's an awesome God. And therefore, he comes to tell us about that grace. And when the grace of that God appears, he brings salvation to all men under the one lordship of Christ. And he tells us, deny the ungodliness, the worldly desires, and live sensibly, righteously, godly in the present evil age. How do you do that? By looking for the, the coming of the Messiah again. It wasn't focused on the past because we know that we live now as redeemed people and our focus is on he's coming again. And so we live in light in a fallen world with a hope. And that's why Paul would say, I want to press on to know this person of Jesus. I want to know him in all his fullness. I want to know the power of that resurrection. And I want to know how to move in pain with that power of the resurrection in a fallen world that I can bring people hope as you can bring people joy and love. That's what this message is all about. It's power from another world, from the one who's sitting on the throne, who's sending his spirit. And if you're abiding in him, that's how you overcome evil. But more than overcoming evil, you worship that which is so beautiful. That's our good news. That's our mission. We can tell people, you can have new life in Christ. Isn't that good? This, this week, the disciples learned that from Jesus, eating fish on the beach and walking around with them, and he's still doing that today. As God is leading you, listening uh, to your, he'll get into your issues and help you come out to see him. So as we go through the study again through Philippians, I just want to set this, just be amazed. We have an awesome God. Let me close there. Father, thank you. Take these words Take these words and make them rooted in your spirit so that they bear fruit for you. And thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.